Very warm greetings to all in the blessed name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to ask you, what are you known to be at work, in school, in your neighbourhood, among your friends and relatives, and especially at home? What, are you, what kind of person are you known to be like? I wonder what the answer will be. Well, maybe we will think that we are pretty good, but the test is what do others think of our demeanor, our attitude, our spirit in life as a Christian? Are we someone that people see as full of joy, rejoicing in all situations of life, any time of the day? Or are we people that are characterized by being moody, melancholy, sad, bitter, sour, ill-tempered, short-tempered, moody people. What are you known to be? Do you know? Well, our families often know best. We can be very different in church, at work, but real test, the real test is often when we are with those who are closest to us. Well, here is where the Apostle Paul, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Here is where the Apostle Paul wants to deal with the spirit of the Christian. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Now, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. This is addressed to the Christian in the church being told to be a rejoicing people. Now, do not lose track of what the Apostle Paul has been dealing with. Now, look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Here we see the heart of the Apostle Paul for the Christians in Philippi the tender heart that he has for them, how much he longs for them, he loves them, how much he desires for them to succeed as Christians in life. There will be a crown for him. How much he loved them. And because of that, he really wanted them to stand fast in the Lord. It's just like a parent. You long so much for your child to stand fast in the Lord. Why? Because you love them. You do not want them to waste their life. Just like a child who wants the parents to come to know the Lord and love the Lord. Their tenderness. And you say, I really want, not just for them to be saved. Please remember this. Paul's desire for them is not just to be saved, but after salvation to stand fast in the Lord. means unmovable in their walk till the very day they leave this earth. That is what he desires for the believers. That is what, well, we know. The word of God, God himself, desires for each one of us. And one of the things that 
Paul, or rather, from verse 2 onwards, he's going to give a list of things for the Christian to observe, to be careful of in order to stand fast in the Lord. Have you ever, has it ever occurred to you that rejoicing, rejoicing is an important part of standing fast as a Christian? Yes, verse, verse 5, well, uh, sorry, verse 3, well, you know, verse 2 and 3 about unity. Of course, unity is very important for standing fast. Disunited people, well, divided house, then Satan will be able to cause us to fall, crumble, all right? Disunity of heart, you, you have no peace, no unity at home between the brethren, you will fall. Well, we relate this standing fast to such things. But here, Paul now launches to the second thing, rejoicing is why, or rather, rejoicing is, is what will help you not to fall. Why is rejoicing an important part to help you to stand fast? Number one, why, why, why? Why? Because re a rejoicing Christian will stand fast in his testimony in this world. That is why it is very important. Please don't just keep thinking of stand fast means, well, I don't fall spiritually, I don't fall into sin and um, um, have consequences in my life. You see, that's the thinking of many Christians. Well, I want, I want to stand fast. I want to listen. I want to listen. I don't want to fall. I want to be successful in life, right? No sin, then God will bless me. That is not the first thing that you need to worry about in standing fast. The Christian is saved for the glory of God. You want to stand fast so that you do not fail the glory of God. You do not bring the name of shame, God's name to shame. That is why, Lord, I want to stand fast, young person. Why do you want to stand fast? Because I do not want to shame God's name. Parents, why do you want your child to stand fast? Because I do not want them to fail God. I don't care if they fail exams. Well, this is not an excuse for you to fail exams, right, young ones? But I'm more worried about them failing in their testimony in this world for the name of God. Standing rejoicing is very important for your standing fast in your testimony as a Christian in this world. Because no amount of preaching the gospel, telling people about how wonderful God is, how how loving he is and how wonderful the Christian life is. If your life is characterized by moodiness, mood swings, bad temper, no joy. You see, a person, a Christian, when he is distinguished, characterized as one who is full of rejoicing, is the most powerful preaching to the unsaved. Because you will stand out in a world that is dark, gloomy, without hope, in times where mental health, breakdowns, depressions, are rife. And then the Christian is also gloomy, depressed. Where is the light to the unbelievers? Paul says, now I want you to rejoice. 
Please rejoice because that is how you stand fast in this very dark world as bright shining lights. So please do not just want to stand fast because you do not want to have consequences of sin. This is even more important, your testimony. Now think about this. Think about this. Today there are, and I want to say this carefully, all right? I want you to get me right. With all the mental health emphasis and with all the emotional breakdowns and depression that people of the world are going through, it is very often because of, well, what happened in life, some, some trauma, some very severe trials they are going through at that moment in life. And they go into depression. Now there is this danger this danger that Christians can also be drawn into this constant worry about mental health breakdowns and emotional de depression and so on. Now, I'm not saying there are no genuine medical cases, but what I'm saying is this. Now, God says the Christian should be a rejoicing person. That is what should distinguish you and characterize your life. If that is the case, then the Christian must be very careful of how we think about this whole environment and focus on mental health. Sometimes we can fall into this thinking that, well, we, we can't help it, you know. Everyone is going through it. So very often Christians seek help, seek, seek counseling for mental health problems as well to the world to psychologists, and so on. Like I say, I do not want you to get me wrong. There are genuine medical cases. But I challenge you to think according to scriptures. Now, who is writing this at this point of time? The Apostle Paul. Where is the Apostle Paul? In prison. What is the Apostle Paul going through? Chains. Freedom taken away. What he needs, what he needs, he can't get. He depends on the kindness of people coming to him. What is he going through? We saw he has been maligned in chapter 1. He's been maligned as, well, Paul is not a good preacher. That is why he's in prison. He's misunderstood and maligned. So unfairly. He's not clear when he's going to get out, if he is going to get out of prison at all. He's constantly under the observation, the pressure of a Roman guard. No privacy at all. No freedom to do what he wants to do. Now, I ask you this question, Christian. Which one of us today can say that we are going through something worse than the Apostle Paul? Remember, he has gone through numerous, severe beatings before this imprisonment. Means even when in prison, he has all his bodily injuries, aches and pain, maybe sores and 
um, infections. You know, I just have tennis elbow recently, tendonitis because of my mouse usage. It's something that is so unbearable. Some of you have it, I know. Affects you in sleeping. It's, it's, it's very distracting and unbearable. I know every time I have it, I say, think of the number of stripes and broken bones that Paul has gone through, and now he's going through this, and he is chained. Right? For me, I have to make sure it's movable and all that to keep it nimble and supple. He's chained with all the injuries. Now, I ask again, which one of us can say that we are going through things like that? But yet he says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. But yet Paul is not just saying, look at chapter 1. Look at chapter 1. Now, verse 3, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Now, he constantly uses the word joy and rejoicing, right? Now, when Paul was in prison, he was rejoicing. We'll see more of those verses afterwards. Paul, if there is any candidate that is as a Christian, that can claim that he should have the right to mental breakdowns, emotional depression, he would be the prime candidate. Why do I say this to believers? Because we live in a society that is priming us to think that we are prime candidates for depression. The Christian is given the command to rejoice because we do not need to be that. We are not supposed to be that. Well, maybe some of you say, wow, this is a very, very unloving pastor. Do not care about, about the life problems that we are having. Do not misunderstand me. I know certain things are very difficult. But it does not change the fact that the person who is going through this said rejoice and he had genuine joy. Now, I want you also, please, to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. Understand this. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. Now here, the Apostle Paul says, now let's, I'll just read verse 9 to 10. They say, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying this, as a Christian, he goes through many difficulties and Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So I'm not saying that there is no place of sorrowing in the Christian's life. But there is this, this thing that happens, that can happen in the believer. Sorrow, oh, it says verse 10, as sorrowful yet always, yet always rejoicing. It is possible. So Christian, first and foremost, do not fall into this this downward spiral to let the world make you think, well, I'm, I'm, a, I, I, you just, I, I'm just depressed because all the problems that are happening. We are not supposed to spiral downwards like that. 
Paul went through those things. You can go through sorrow and yet be someone that is rejoicing, that people can see you are different. Second reason why rejoicing is important for standing fast. The second reason is this. When a Christian fails to be a rejoicing person, he will succumb to the circumstances. He will fall spiritually. Not only will he fail in his testimony, he will fall personally. Just a matter of time. Paul, who loved these people so much, he's trying to give them the secret as a people to standing fast, be united. Now he's giving this secret to the individual not to fall is by rejoicing. The moment we let things drag us down, we let sorrow dominate and overwhelm us, instead of rejoicing, we see we learn how afterwards, instead of rejoicing, your heart and your mind will just go into darker and darker places. No matter how much you have learned about God's Word, as long as you allow yourself to go on in sorrowing, in sadness, in melancholy, in, re in retreating into yourself, with self-pity, you will eventually say, yes, there is nothing in life that is worth living for anymore. Or, you will look for a way out of what you're going through, even if it is at the expense of compromising your Christian walk. Even if it's at the expense of disobeying God's word, you will. Now, I've seen this in churches that I've served in. I've seen this in our midst in the last 11 years. The Christian can learn about God's word, know about God's word and everything. But it's always focusing on how sad my life is. I don't have this. I don't have that. Ah, this happened. Ah, that happened. Well, please know this. The trials in the Christian life will only increase. For the elderly, your health is not going to improve. Your health is only going to deteriorate. The outward man will constantly perish. It's not going to get better. Some of you, may, you may want something very much in life, whether it is to get married, whether it is um, to get a certain job and have certain lifestyle, whatever it is. Now, when you don't have it and you are sorrowful, unhappy, discontented, murmuring, whether outwardly or in your heart, eventually you will leave. You will leave the church and go find a church that will preach the gospel that God wants you to have everything that you want. Will preach the gospel that, no, you do not need to live holy lives. Well, marry whoever you want to. Take whatever job that makes you make a lot of money. 
Pursue your life's dreams. You will leave eventually to churches that will give you those things. There are many who go from church to church. Down here in a sound church, then cannot take it because they don't get what they want. And when they pursue what they want, preaching is against it. Then they feel very, very frustrated. Instead of just rejoicing in what they have, then they move to another church, hoping that, well, they'll hear different messages. Then they still don't get it. Then they just keep moving, 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 until they find, ah, this church doesn't point out my sins. Let me do, let me do what I want to do. Now I pursue those things without any restraint. I'm happy now. See, if you don't rejoice in whatever situation that God allows, that God plans for your life, and you keep wanting your own life, you will eventually fall. You see, Paul is telling the Christian this. I'm in prison. I'm going through all these things. I'm rejoicing. Now please learn from me that whatever you're going through, please don't try and get out of it. Rejoice. Because if you keep thinking that negative situations are not good, you will keep searching and, and digging. You become more and more unhappy with your life. You will finally fall. See, so learn from me. Whatever situation I am in, I rejoice. I rejoice. That is how I, Paul, am able to persevere till today. That is what I have learned. And I love you so much. I really want you to learn this thing. Rejoice. Don't let situations pull you down. Don't let what you want and do not get make you depressed. Do not. You think Paul did not want freedom? He wrote, I long to be with you. I long to get out of this prison. He longed for many things. He begged them, please remember to bring my coat. I'm very cold. He had many desires, but none of those things were his joy. Now, so now, the, so these two, just, just example of these two reasons why you must be a rejoicing Christ, Christian. Now the question is, what is rejoicing? What is rejoicing? How to be a rejoicing Christian? Well, the answer is found here as well. Right, let's turn back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Now, first and foremost, we have learned why. All right, we have learned why. Now, he said, Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. How can I be such a rejoicing Christian in whatever circumstance of life? Well, the secret is in the Lord. He did not say rejoice, be rejoicing, just re rejoice, Christian. No, he said rejoice in the Lord. That is how you overcome the lack of rejoicing. Now, first and foremost, let's see what is the meaning of rejoice. All right? Now, I'll take a definition from Merriam Webster Dictionary. Now, now it says, what is, what is joy and what is rejoice? Now, rejoice is to experience great pleasure or delight. So there is an emotion involved. All right? That comes, then that's, that's why it comes forth in a behavior. All right? So it's experience great pleasure and delight in joy. You experience great pleasure and delight in something that's called joy. Then what is joy? That's why it's called rejoice. All right? What is joy? 
Now, the dictionary rightly defines an emotion evoked by well-being. That's the emotion that comes up. Now, but it comes because of well-being, because of success, because of good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. The prospect of possessing one, what one desires. You say, Pastor, isn't that what we always learn that we should not be, right? Well, it's not about well-being, not about success, not about good fortune, not about prospect of getting what I want. Why do you give us this definition? Now, this is a biblical, it's a correct definition. In fact, when Paul says rejoice, he's exactly saying Please have the emotion that is evoked by well-being, success, and good fortune, and prospect of possessing what one desires. He said, oh, oh, pastor is preaching the health and wealth gospel to us now. Not so at all. Now, the key is even the world understands. You will only rejoice if you actually have well-being, success, good fortune, and you are going to get what you want. You will only be a rejoicing people if you have that. They are correct. But I hope that you already understand what I mean. You see, when Paul said, I want you to rejoice, he says, in the Lord. If the Lord is your well-being, if the Lord is your success, if the Lord is your good fortune, if the Lord is the prospect of what you desire, you will be a rejoicing people. You see, the problem with us is this. We are not rejoicing people because what we desire is not the Lord. That is why we are not rejoicing people. Isn't it true? We desire fame. We desire fortune. We desire, we desire admiration. We desire pleasure. We desire ease for ourselves. That is why we are not rejoicing until we get those things. But you see, when your rejoicing is in the Lord, a person who rejoices in the Lord will always be a rejoicing person in any situation. Why? Why? Because of three things. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? You say, Lord, I want to now. I want to. I want to be a Christian that when I go to work, people see that I, I am a joyful, rejoicing Christian, whatever the situation, at home. I want to be a different father, a different mother, a different child. Not moody, bad-tempered, and short-tempered, and frustrated. And say, Why things don't go my way? I do not want to be such a person anymore. Lord, I want to be a rejoicing Christian, lest I fail you in testimony, lest I fall, Lord. Please, how? How? Well, here it is. In the Lord, what does it mean? Rejoice in the Lord. Three things. First, to rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in the work and the word and the person of Christ. It is, your rejoicing is found in the Lord. It is in his work, in his word, and in him, in Christ himself. That is why these three things are the things that Satan will always try and attack, the work the word and the person of Christ. If he can attack that, the Christian will lose joy. Now, I'm not plucking this out from the air. I'm taking it from the context of what Paul himself has been saying to the Christian. And he culminates to this point where he says, rejoice in the Lord. First, the work of Christ. Now, see the first instance where he brings in rejoicing in his own life. Turn to chapter 1. 
Turn to chapter 1. Quickly, turn to chapter 1. Verse 18. Now it says, What then? Notwithstanding everywhere, whether in pretense for, or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, and I will rejoice. Repeated rejoicing. The first time Paul brings in rejoicing is about the work of Christ. So when he says rejoice in the Lord, in his own life, it's about the work of Christ. He rejoiced that the name of Christ, the true gospel, that souls are saved, the kingdom's work is forwarded. He said, it doesn't matter whether I take credit for it, whether I'm the one who do it. As long as the work of Christ, the name of Christ is forwarded, the truth of Christ is known, I rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord is that. Now, is that true in your life? Let me ask you. Is that true in your life? What makes you rejoice? Getting what you want in school, your grades, getting the promotion you want at work, getting the bank account that you hope to attain, getting the car, the house, the whatever, the dress, the handbag, whatever it is. Is that what brings you joy? Or is the work of Christ being forwarded that makes you rejoice? You see, as long as we focus on the sensual, on the fleshly, you cannot last in your rejoicing. Paul's rejoicing was in something spiritual, the work of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. If something in the eyes of the world as negative happened to you or your child or your family or your job, or the lack of a job, or the lack of health. Now, if something happens to that, will you rejoice? Very often, we don't. The reason is this. We do not accept, although we may memorize and we may quote, all things work together for good. To them that love God and are called according to his purposes. We may lisp it, but we don't accept it. What do I mean? Anything that is in my eyes, in the eyes of the world, in my feelings, is negative that has occurred. I don't care if it is for my spiritual good. I don't care. Remember, all things work together for good. That good is that you conform to the image of Christ and therefore glorify God. The good is always for the glory of God and therefore for your spiritual good. That is the good. All things work together for good. But I cannot accept what has happened. But if, I don't care if this will forward the name of Christ. You see, Paul is in prison and they are maligning him. But he says this, it's okay, you know, as long as the work of Christ is forwarded. My misfortune because of so-called my misfortune, I am in prison. But because of my imprisonment, I can reach the soldiers in the palace of Caesar. I accept it. I rejoice in it. You see, when things happen in our life, even, and we know that whatever happens, negative in the eyes of the world, is still for the forwarding of God's kingdom, His name, and your spiritual good. 
But as long as you don't rejoice in the work of God, God is working this in your life for His glory. Now after this in Teens Q&A, we're going to quote this verse. Even at the child that was born blind, that the world said, oh, how can this happen? So terrible. A child born blind, so pitiful. What did Christ say to them? This is that the works of God may be known. It's for God's glory. This blindness at birth is that God's work will be made known. You see, the thing is, we do not rejoice in the work of God. If the work of God progresses and I also progress and benefit, I rejoice. But if it's negative to my life, I don't rejoice. See, Paul's secret is this. Accept every work of God in your life. Accept the will of God in your life. You have a child that is born like that. Rejoice. You can only rejoice. You say, it's for some reason. It's for the glory of God. And I'm so happy that God chose my family to do this in. Whether you lose your health, you lose your job, you don't have a job. For some reason, God's work in my life, this thing that is happening, I accept and I embrace because I know it's for some glorious purpose for His kingdom. You see, when it is our will, our desire, our, pers- our, our aim that we don't get, we cannot rejoice. So the work of Christ, I hope that you understand that. What about the Word of God? Now, you can only rejoice when so-called unpleasant things happen to your life if you accept and embrace the word of God. What do I mean by that? That verse that we just quoted, all things work together for good, for the glory of God, for your spiritual good. Can you accept that? You see, as long as you don't embrace and rejoice in the word of God, you will struggle with rejoicing. I'm not talking about you know the verse. I'm not talking about you can Quote the verse precisely. I'm talking about, do you really rejoice in the word of God? God, I am so joyful that your word has this promise that when I bear and go through all these things, good will come for your name. I believe it. It is not just saying. It is really rejoicing in that thing. You see, as the definition says, emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Unless you believe God's word, when God's word says, when you, are, when you suffer for my name's sake, my glory rests upon you. Unless you accept that, unless you rejoice in that, well, this is not well-being, this is not success, this is not good fortune. You see, the definition is correct. If my idea of something good is for my spiritual well-being, even if negative things happen, I believe you, God, that is what you say. If I, be, I rejoice in the fact that, Lord, if the world see that I'm failing, but if my obedience to you is a success, this is good fortune. Paul never considered his imprisonment unfortunate, unlucky. He always saw the positive side. He always believed that what God says, all things work together for good. He was the one that God used to write these verses. 
He really believed it. God moved him to write it. Now then the third one. So unless you really rejoice in the word of God, that God says even negative things are good, you will not rejoice, all right? And the third one, in the person of Christ, in the person of Christ. You see, to Paul, everything has been taken away from him now, right? He don't have possessions. But yet, he is full of joy and rejoicing. Well, actually, I need to show you, right? I, I say I'll prove to you. Now, actually, the word, uh, rejoice in the word, how do we come to that? Now, chapter 3, let me make this point before I move on. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, this time when he says rejoice, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Same thing. But then he says, to write the same things unto you, to me indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. You see, he linked rejoicing in the Lord to the word. Like I told you, I'm not plucking this up. He linked rejoicing in the Lord to the work in chapter 1. In chapter 3, he, he linked the rejoicing of, in the Lord to the word. He said, please rejoice in the Lord and have things to write to you. You don't like to hear it, but I have to tell you. You see, when the Christians say, I don't like to hear this. I don't want to accept this. You can never rejoice in the Lord. That is why he say, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say things to you that I think you don't like to hear. It's needful for me to write to you. So Christian, you may not, as long as you do not like what God says in his word about your life, about what he has planned for you, about his will, you cannot rejoice. Now then the person of Christ, right? The person of Christ. Now let us see what is the thing that he, he seeks after, he pursues after, he longs for, he will give anything in life for. In chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 6. Concerning zeal, uh, well, um, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, verse 7. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them, but dung that I may win Christ. What makes Paul, or rather, what is the focus of Paul's life that would make him a rejoicing Christian? That I may win Christ. That I may know him, the person of Christ. You know, we know many things of the world. We know and we believe many words of the world. The world tells you, this is good, this is negative, things are not good. The world tells you, riches is good, imprisonment is bad for the Lord. Well, don't be imprisoned because of your sin, all right? You deserve imprisonment is because of your sin. The world tells you many things. It tells you those things. Would you believe their word or God's word? And the world will tell you, these things are to be pursued. Having a lot of money, having very good health, enjoying life to the maximum pleasures in your retirement. See, these are the good things. But Paul says, the thing that is really good, that nothing can compare to, can compare to in my life is Christ. That is why I can always rejoice. Because Christ can never be taken away from me. Because Christ promised to always be with me. Because Christ, whatever I'm going through, He is with me. Because Christ is the most infinitely loving Saviour. But unless you really know Christ, you cannot rejoice. Well, first and foremost, friend, are you a believer? Maybe you've been seeking joy. Maybe you want to rejoice. Hopefully, you see Christians as rejoicing people. 
Now, that's the other thing. I just digress. Christians, you know, if you are not a rejoicing Christian, people who come to seek God and see your life and always complain, I have my health, my pain, I have no money, things are so expensive. Next week, they're not coming back. Because you're the same as me. I was hoping to find joy. See, the testimony, you must stand fast in that. Coming back to this. Now, if the world tells you all these things will bring you joy, unless you really know Christ, that He's all lovely, He's all glorious, He's infinitely beautiful and attractive, you cannot rejoice. Because the next thing that comes along, this is more attractive, this is nicer, this is more pleasurable than Christ. You will never rejoice unless you get that thing. You see, for Paul, to him, it, his joy doesn't change wherever he is, whatever he's going through, because he knows his pursuit is always about Christ. Is your child your joy? You know, people say, oh, my sweetheart, oh, my beloved, whether your spouse or your child or your parent, oh, my, my, my heart, right? Oh, my joy, the joy of my life. Is that Christ or is it your child, your spouse, your family, your job? You go to work very happy. I finally got this job and this position that I wanted. I finally got the pay rise. I finally got the results. Then you have a spring in your step when you go to school. Is that your joy? Paul says rejoice. He's rejoicing. His, his pursuit is Christ. Now, when I was in Singapore, it's our National Day month, and a lot of things are linked to the National Day event, and we have many national songs, some of which I feel is really very moving and very patriotic. And... Um, I brought family to go and see some of the lights show and, and they sing the, so they were playing all these patriotic songs, right? At the garden. I tell you, I struggle holding my tears back. I struggle holding my tears back. The sense of nationalism, love for the country, um, what the country has done for me, for my family. I, I, I really struggle to hold my tears back. I remember we were driving and then Sharon was saying, you know, this place is really nice to hear all these national songs. And even when she was saying, you know that, that song, this is my country, this is my home, this is my people. You know, even when she was saying that, she was about to break down and cry as well. Now, what is my point? I ask myself, when I think of Christ, now, when I think of my heavenly citizenship, which we covered in chapter 3, right, chapter 3, verse 21, when I think of my heavenly citizenship, when I think that my home is actually heaven and my king, my ruler, is not Lee Kuan Yew, the past, or the past Lee Kuan Yew, he was a great man. My king is the God of the universe. Why is it that there's no, this emotion of joy that wells up in me that makes me so emotional. 
I would say that I'm very ashamed of that. See, my joy has not reached a stage where my joy is Christ. The very thought of Christ. I shared this with you before. There was a young, a young uh, unbeliever that got saved in our midst. After he heard about how Christ suffered and died on the cross for him. Then the next old day, outreach in the university, he said, Pastor, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, why? I cannot preach the gospel. I said, but we've explained how to preach the gospel. He said, no, no, it's not that. Pastor, you know, every time I ask, I tell people, you know, you want to come and know Jesus Christ. He said, he cannot go beyond that. I said, what do you mean? He said, every time I, I name Jesus Christ, the name, I mention the name Jesus Christ, I break down. I want to cry. And it's very embarrassing talking to people. I'm a doubt. And I want to cry. Every time I say Jesus Christ, I want to cry. Because, you see, to him, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for he unworthy him is so real. To him is this Jesus Christ, this God, is so real to him. That just a mention of his name, just like for us, the mention of that national song, we, we have to hold back our tears. Oh, my friends, when Paul says, we let your rejoicing be in the Lord, that is what he is saying. Unless we have reached this point, lose my job, I cry. Don't have a job, I cry. My child meets with a fatal accident, I cry. My health, I'm told that my health will be gone, I cry. My, I'm told that my, my finances are gone, I cry. Now, I'm not saying that these are not sorrowful, not things that are painful. Paul said, in sorrowing yet rejoicing. The question is, do we have yet rejoicing? If your rejoicing are in these things, that these things has been your actual joy, you will fall eventually. You will succumb eventually. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Are these things real in your life? Is are the promises of God so real to you? The word that the person who promised this is, of, is the infinitely loving God. The God that never breaks his promises, that is faithful. Do these promises bring you joy? So that is the what. We have only 10 minutes left. Now the question is the how. The how. It is also found in chapter 4, verse 4. Now I say, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. How are we to rejoice? Always. What does always mean? Always means in every phase of life. Not when I'm young and healthy and I have money. Always means also when you're old and full of pain and full of losses. Always, any phase of life. I rejoice that I'm a student now. Yay, you know, I can have fun. Oh, yeah, coming out to work already. No, always, always. It means in every situation. Always, every situation. Not only when things seem favorable, as we've said. Not only when things are going your way. Not only when things are turning out as you wish for it too. God, you mean you wanted me to have cancer? God, you mean you wanted me to be single? God, you mean you wanted me not to have children? God, you mean you wanted me to lose this job? 
Yes, every situation. As I've said, that is what distinguishes the Christian from the rest. That is your testimony. To them, they are only happy with the spring in their step and they are joyful and they are cheerful when things are going their way, right? But Paul said, please don't be like them. Always. I know that things can go very wrong in your life, as he has in my life. But rejoice in whatever situation. Always. Always. Now, always also mean that even when no one else is rejoicing, even when no one else is with you in rejoicing, always. Sometimes it is difficult. You go to work, everybody moans and complains and, and badmouth the company and the, the bosses and the, and the working conditions. What do you do? You remember, I'm a Christian that must stand fast in my testimony. My rejoicing is not dependent on these things that, that happen. My rejoicing is in the Lord and I want to show it to them. Do you complain with them? Yeah, you know, ah, yeah, more, need more, uh, they should give more money. Or when people complain about ah, prices of things because of the war, because of COVID, because of all sorts of things. Ah, things are so expensive, ah, escalating prices, not enough money. Then you also go in that. Or you continue to rejoice when everyone else around you complains, murmurs, and validly so that it is, there are conditions that are worth complaining about and are really very difficult. But it doesn't change you, even when no one else rejoices. Now, I think I shared this with you before. It's a true story. I read it in a biography. A pastor wrote it about a congregation member. This woman... She wanted a child for a long time, and she finally conceived, gave birth. The child was a special child. Now, we're going to cover a lot of this at Teens Q&A after about abortion. The child was a special child, and she rejoiced. I have a child to bring up for the Lord. Not for herself, huh? I have a child to bring up for the Lord. She rejoiced. But the condition was so bad, no matter what she did and sacrificed, months later the child died. The Lord took the child. Now at the funeral, they, they chose hymns to sing for the child, uh, for, for the funeral, sorry. And she requested, can we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow? The relatives, the family members think maybe she is demented. Maybe the stress of all this is so severe, she's a bit not clear in thinking. Who chooses a song, a hymn, praise God from whom all blessings flow when the child has just passed away? Who chooses a hymn like that? I think something wrong, there's something wrong with her. But she said, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I still rejoice that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That is God's plan for my life. And I see it happen in my life. And if my rejoicing will bring glory to Him, that I trust Him, I want to rejoice. You see, when our rejoicing is in the Lord, 
when everyone around us may not even understand, we still rejoice. I want to say this because of this. You know, sometimes as Christians, we are pressurized not to rejoice. You say, what do I mean? Just like this woman, if she is pressurized, no child, child, baby die, especially my baby. Now, I need to act sad. I need to cry. I need to cling to the coffin when, the, when, they're, burying, when they're about to bury the baby. I need to act this way because the world acts this way, right? If I don't, they'll say, wow, this is an unloving mother. Sometimes we feel pressurized. Sometimes we feel that is the right way to act. No, God says the right way to act always. I want to say this again, quoting the Word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. The right way to act always is rejoice. Always means even in losses. My friends, there are some who have gone astray because of losses. It could be losses of job. It could be losses of loved one. That they cannot accept God's will. That God has taken away their job. God has taken away their health. God has taken away their loved one. They cannot accept it. They have walked a life that is close to the Lord. Said many things that seem to glorify God. But when the crunch comes, when they are rejoicing, is not in the work, in the word, and in the person of Christ. Some has left. Some has left our midst because of not being able to get what they want in life, because of even death of loved ones. They just come to a point where they just say, I cannot accept what God has done. I say, but you followed the Lord all your life. Yes, but, but in this area, I cannot accept. And they have left. Do you understand why rejoicing is so important? Why rejoicing in the right thing is so important? Because this person's rejoicing is in my loved one still living. Though not in this country, in another country. As long as my loved one is living, I'm happy. But the moment God allows my loved one to be taken away, but I say, but your loved one is a believer, your loved one is within the Lord. Yeah, but I still cannot accept that God has taken them away. You see, my friends, when our rejoicing is in someone, something, we will fail. Rejoice always. Now, lastly, how? Lastly, how? Second part. So we see always. And, second part. and again, I say rejoice. The second how. And again, I say rejoice. You say, what do you mean? This is a how. And again, I say rejoice. Now, first, you must know the word rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice is a verb. Both times, Paul used the imperative. It means both times, Paul used it as a command. Now, what does it mean? How to rejoice? It is a choice to rejoice. Because it's a command means you have the choice. You can rejoice. It's back to this whole mental health and depression thing. The world and Satan wants you to think you cannot overcome this. You are just going to be like that the rest of your life. God says opposite. And again, I want you to know and I command you, you can you can. Now, if you have a genuine medical problem, please seek medical help. But I want you to know this. Don't always think that you cannot, that you're bound to a life of depression and dependence on depression medicine. The Christian must know you can rejoice whatever the situation. I repeat, Paul is the one who is writing this. Of all the person that deserves 
an understanding to have a mental breakdown and depression, emotional depression is, will be Paul. But he never had that. In fact, he's the one who tells people, you can, and I command you twice because the fact that I communitize, I'm not only emphasizing that you must, but I'm emphasizing that you can. Christian, it is a choice. How can you exercise this choice? Two things. I have more, but I think I only have time for two. Number one, focus. Refocus. That's what Paul said. Rejoice. Oh no, I'm not rejoicing. I'm struggling. You see, Paul, God knows that rejoicing in difficulty always is very difficult. Then he said, and again, I say, it is telling you, wake up, wake up, wake up. Refocus, refocus, again, again. So some, God knows that sometimes we are trying. We know that this is the right thing. This is the right way to live. We are trying. And then we succumb. But God says, try again. Again, I say, rejoice. Try again. Come to me. Seek my help. My, my, my joy is your strength. Believe in it. Don't succumb. In other words, you can. You can. Focus on the word, the work, the will of God, the person of Christ. Every time you're tempted and you find that you're grumbling, murmuring, getting sad, getting, getting melancholy, getting gloomy and moody, and I say again, refocus. Go back to it. The second thing, how? And again, I say rejoice. Now you are probably familiar one of the things that can take away your joy is sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 51, Restore unto me, what? The joy of my salvation. Salvation's joy is stolen by sin. David knew that. As long as you do not deal with sin in your life, that you know is there, as long as you continue want to hold on to it, love it, eventually your heart will be taken by it. And as long as you have sin in your life, you have no joy of salvation. Deal with sin. A preacher once said, a Christian that is not rejoicing probably has a leak in his life. You know what's a leak? Your leaking joy means there's a hole, something is coming out. That's why you're not full of joy. And you need to plug it. I think it's a very wise saying. One of the leak, one of the things that causes the leaking of joy is sin. You know what it is. Would you focus and refocus? You see, I want to say in closing. Now Paul was in prison, while others who are in prison are in sadness. Paul was in peace and joy. While others had their freedom taken away, are in pain and restraint and feel helpless and are weeping and are depressed, but yet Paul is full of gladness. While others are sad and depressed, Paul was full of rejoicing. Why? Because the very thought of Jesus not the very thought of freedom, not the very thought of getting what he wants, not the very thought 
of having more, more comfort in his body, but it is the very thought of Jesus that fills his soul with sweetness. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. 56, the closing hymn. 56, Jesus, the very thought of thee, let us rise. 56.